Hello and welcome to Out and About in Malovians. I'm your host, Jeremy Balfour. As part of my job as Member of the Scottish Parliament, I get to travel around Malovians, meeting interesting people and hearing about how the companies, charities and projects that they work for benefit and contribute to our community. On this podcast, I will share their stories. On today's episode, I'm looking forward to talking to Andrew Anderson from Maggie's. Well, Andy, I'm sitting in this lovely building um, outside the Western General in the Maggie Centre. Probably all of us have known the name, but where did Maggie's come from? What's the history behind it? Yeah, I think you're right. Hopefully Maggie's is a, is a well-known Edinburgh name and, and now more across Scotland and the UK, but not everybody knows what happens behind the door. Importantly, the centre's called Maggie, Maggie's because of Maggie's own diagnosis and experience of a cancer diagnosis. She was in her early 50s, married with two teenage kids, and sadly had a diagnosis of advanced breast cancer. And what she recognised in the midst of her own diagnosis was that the medical team and the hospital were providing exceptional care and the nurses were brilliant, but that she and her family needed more than that. She needed a space to make sense. She needed a space to be upset, to talk things through. Importantly also to think about how she would best support herself and best support her family through her diagnosis. She was keen to live, keen to be well, keen to thrive and keen to be active in her treatment. And that's what she really wanted for everybody that she met in the clinic environment or in the ward environment. And the hospital had a gap. Um, The hospital were, were able to acknowledge that that was a gap. And 28, 29 years ago, she started a process of making a difference and as a healthy agitator she said I want there to be something different and we're now sitting in the results of her agitation and her questions she said I'd really like somewhere to be separate to the hospital to be able to go and to sit and make sense of and we're now sitting in that space. It's a beautiful modern light warm space who comes in? So, so you know, wh- what type of individuals through your door? Yeah, so anybody comes into the centre. Um, the centre is open to anybody affected by any type of cancer diagnosis at any stage for any reason. So although Maggie was a female who had advanced breast cancer, it's just as appropriate for somebody who's had an early stage bowel cancer and surgery for that to be able to come in or his family or his um, uh, work colleagues as well, friends. So anybody can come into the centre. I think for a lot of people, to the point you made at the or the question you asked at the start, is if people don't really know what's happening behind the door, why would I come into the centre? Some people, I think, have a, a an assumption that it's an end of life care support facility. When last year, more than sixty percent of the population who came to the centre were coming with curative intent circumstances, and a lot of people come in for very important practical reasons. You've just said hi to my colleague Anne, who's our benefits advisor, who makes transform transformative change for people coming to the centre. Last year she secured over £4 million worth of revenue income for people coming to Maggie's. And that's really life-changing shift for a lot of people who are profoundly practically affected by their diagnosis. And then other people will come because they want information about travel insurance, they want to be able to organise their will, they want to think about how they recover their hair after they've had chemotherapy, or importantly, they want to make sense of their emotional response to their diagnosis. So anybody can come, any age, any stage, any circumstances. The door is always open. And it's a drop-in place? You can just pitch up and... It is. Yeah, it's a drop-in service, Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. For some people, when they know that there's a 
quite a big conversation that they want to have, they can give us a call and set up a particular time with one of us. But otherwise, if you've just been to your appointment in the hospital and you want to come in afterwards to translate the medical information to understand how that affects your ability to continue to work or your ability to continue to care for your dad who lives with you, any of those types of things are the things you can just drop into the centre for. So is it open to families, for, for, for partners to come in as well and talk, or it is, is it simply for the, the patient? No, very much for families. Um, last year, we saw 60% of the population who came in were people who have or have had a diagnosis, and 40% are family members. Our keenness is to make sure that any family member feels able to come to the centre. And importantly, there's a number of people who are coming to Maggie's Edinburgh whose mum or dad or family member might be having treatment in another part of the UK. So it's appropriate for you to come to any of your local Maggie centres, even if you've not got an attachment to the hospital. Um, also, increasingly, we work with a lot of um, organisations that support us to help them in thinking about how they support their colleagues back to work. So increasingly, we see a lot of colleagues coming to the centre and, of course, friends and family and Anybody who's affected, for whatever reason, can come to the centre. And I just say it started here in, in Edinburgh. It did. But you've gone way beyond Edinburgh now. So yeah. tell us a wee bit about what's happened over the last 20 plus years. Yeah, so it is incredible. I don't think Maggie or her family had any idea that it would be anything beyond Maggie's here in Edinburgh. The, Maggie had her diagnosis and treatment between here in Dumfries. So there was a possible thought, gosh, could it be somewhere else? And after after three years of Maggie's Edinburgh being in, in existence and, and showing that it worked, um, the Glasgow Cancer Centre said, look, we've been looking at providing a, a, an information resource for people affected by cancer. Could you help us? And Laura and her colleagues went and spoke and said, look, this is how we've set ourselves up and this is the model that we've done. Feel free to go ahead and take that. And they said, well, listen, would you be interested in and then when Glasgow had the first, the, the second Maggie Centre, Dundee said, well, hang on a second, if Glasgow are having one, we want one. And then Inverness said the same thing. And so it's been requests from other hospitals where they've recognised a gap in service and they've also recognised the expertise of Maggie's as an organisation to fulfil that psychological, informational and, and um, emotional support resource for people affected by cancer. So we started here, as you say, 27 years ago in Edinburgh with no real expectation of expansion. And now there are 27 centres across the UK and internationally. So there's an Aggie centre at every major cancer centre in Scotland and two district general hospitals. And importantly, there are centres right across England and Wales. And we have a centre in Hong Kong, a centre in Tokyo and a centre in Barcelona. And 27 years ago the kind of diagnosis of cancer would have been seen as, for many people, terminal. Yes. It would have been something that would have brought, and still does, been a lot of fear, but things have moved, haven't they, in the last 27 years? It's not the same as it was medically. Yeah, I'm delighted to agree with you. You're absolutely right. When I first qualified as a nurse, the vast majority of people that I met um, in the cancer centre, sadly, were dying very quickly after they were diagnosed with a diagnosis. It's an entirely different situation now. Cancer is still a very serious and a very complicated diagnosis for a lot of people. But the vast majority of we, people we see in Maggie's are looking to fully recover from the diagnosis. The improvements that have been made, not only in curing a cancer diagnosis, whether that's breast cancer, colon cancer, skin cancer, but the other big shift that's happened 
is for people for whom they know they can't have their diagnosis cured or removed, the ability to live well with a diagnosis has transformed dramatically. One of the examples of that is in our haematology support group for people who have a myeloma diagnosis, which is a disease of the bone marrow and bone. Um, when I first qualified 35 years ago, um, standardly people would have a, around about a nine-month uh, lifespan expectancy. Thankfully, within the group, there are people who are nine years, five, 10 years, 15 years, and 20 years living with that diagnosis. It's not easy living with the consequences of a diagnosis long-term, but importantly, the way in which the oncology teams and hematology teams have worked to really enhance people's capacity to live well with a diagnosis has also transformed in the last generation. So when people come through that door for the first time, is it, and I'm sure each individual will be different, so it's very difficult to generalise, but is it shock, is it fear, is it, you know, how long have I got to live, or are people... What are people kind of looking for in that initial experience? Yeah, I think I think you're right. A lot of people are coming in really quite shocked and overwhelmed by what their diagnosis is or what it might mean for them. Um, but people are different, and people come in often very pragmatic. Um, they've had very good information from the hospital. They've got a very clear treatment plan. And as frustrating and as upsetting as it is, it feels manageable. So they come in to say... The issue for me today is actually I'm still really keen on going on holiday, but I can't get travel insurance. Can you help? So a a very appropriate life-focused question to come in. For other people, it is that sense of overwhelm, um, either because of their family history or because of their perception of cancer. It's very difficult for them to believe that they might still be able to be well. So dealing with shock and overwhelm is a big part of uh, the support that the centre offers. But also helping people to adjust um, cancer is increasingly something that all of us have to consider in our lifetimes. And making adjustment to life events is a big part of what Maggie's is about. For a lot of people who come to the centre, cancer sometimes is the most straightforward part of their life. And they're making lots of adjustments in other complicated areas of life. Uh, And our role is to help people with that healthy adjustment process and giving people a strategy for managing and strategy for coping. Um, You referenced just the beautiful building when people come in shocked and overwhelmed quite often they are tearful when they walk in because they feel so held by this really amazing space that maggie mm-hmm. created they also feel held and reassured and supported immediately by the space and then our role is to be able to enhance what the building initially offers and provide a really high quality professional service in that so you touched on a, a few moments ago that you come from a nursing background yeah but you've been here a, a, well don't know if you've been here a long time do I just tell us, how did you end up here and what's been your experience of that? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm a cancer nurse by qualification. I did a general nurse training at Queen Margaret College, as it was, Queen Margaret University now. And I qualified in 1990 and I was very fortunate to get my first job in the oncology unit here at the Western. And I worked in the oncology unit for 11, 12 years before coming to Maggie's. And I've worked now at Maggie's for 23 years, so more than half of my career at Maggie's. Still incredibly proud to call myself a nurse, and I still very much consider myself a nurse at Maggie's. But it's a different type of nursing. It's a different type of support. In the hospital, my role was to provide really top quality nursing care, um, to administer medication, to safely manage clinical trials, to look after chemotherapy service. 
At Maggie's, it's much more about the person's psychological, social and emotional well-being that my nursing focuses. And my role has evolved and changed over those years. I came to the centre as a cancer support specialist and I've been the centre head now for 20 years. I'm an incredibly proud of my career, but also incredibly proud of what Maggie's offers as an organisation. And to work with such brilliant specialist team members to provide something that looks effortless and easy every day that is often very complicated but is really focused around the individual's needs is a is a really powerful way of being a healthcare professional and Maggie's has given all of us a really amazing way of being able to express our professional ability as well as our humanity. So you're a charity? We are. Charities don't run on thin air. That's right. But I don't think you get any government money or anything like that so so how do you kind of pay the bills? Yeah so we are an independent charity entirely separate to the NHS for, for good reason you know Maggie wanted this to be an independent autonomous and confidential space to come to so we're not a clinic we're not a, an outreach service of the NHS we're very much aligned with but it does mean that we're responsible every January f- for raising a lot of money to keep the centre running and to provide the services that we run and importantly also to build all the new buildings that we um, provide the services from. We've been hugely fortunate over the last 27 years to be massively supported by the Edinburgh community and the wider community. Um, Both individuals who come to the centre who've given generous gifts but also importantly organisations, corporates, trusts, major donors and recently some support from Scottish Government as well. So we have had support in relation to a project looking at getting people ready for treatment, a project called Prehabilitation. So that's come with some funding from Scottish Government. In terms of our annual running costs, it's, it's still a very small contribution compared to what our annual running cost is. But it's important to have been recognised by Scottish Government in, in terms of what we're doing and how we're doing it. Our keenness is to be a community resource owned by the local community, loved by the local community and supported by the local community. That requires us to provide a really high quality service and it really requires us to work well with the local community and wanting to support us. Um, but as a, as still a relatively small charity, it's remarkable to see the growth that we've had within a relatively short space of time. My feel around that is it's a demonstration of the demand and the need for the service but also the recognition of the love and the respect for the organisation too. So can people volunteer here to help or do you have to be a paid member of staff? Yeah, so we have paid members of staff like myself and the other nurses, psychologists, benefits advisors um, uh, within the team. But we have an incredible team of volunteers who help at Maggie's Edinburgh and in the other centres too. Some uh, people like Jenny, who you met today, welcome you into the centre, uh, allow you to find a comfortable seat, make you a decent cup of tea. Um, and then we've got other volunteers who help with some administration, help with fundraising, help in a range of different ways. And a lot of the, the support we get from volunteers is being champions, being amb- ambassadors, telling people about their experience of Maggie's. Because as you, as you said at the very start, it's often difficult for people to really understand what happens behind the doors. So when somebody's had a lived experience of Maggie's, for them to be able to share it with others helps them to understand how they might be helped or how their family members might be helped by Maggie's. So we've caught you just as you're about to, well, not quite walk out the door, but change roles. So yeah. you, 
after all these years, mm. you're off to do something a wee bit different. Do you want to just tell us a bit about yeah, that? Yeah, it's a, it's a really exciting um, shift. So I've been involved in Maggie's um, training program for new staff for many years. And it's a really important part of the role, helping staff who've maybe just come from the NHS to understand the difference between working at Maggie's compared to working within the NHS and to deeply understand the ethos and philosophy of this organisation and what it was that Maggie and her family really set out to do. So I'm really proud to be able to take that forward and to champion supporting new staff coming into Maggie's, but also importantly to be able to support staff who've been in the organisation a while to broaden their understanding, to deepen the programmes of support that they offer within their own centres and to continue to be able to be excited and um, proud of working for this exceptional organisation. So this is my last two weeks in Maggie's Edinburgh and I've chosen to step away at a time where I still love my job, I'm glad to be able to say. I didn't want to get to the position where that changed because it, it, it wouldn't be fair on the people I support um, and nor would it be fair on myself. And I'm happy to be able to be stepping away, but I'm going to really miss this place. It's, um, it's an exceptional place to work with exceptional staff and brilliant centre visitors who are a joy to work with. Um, but I'll still be around, I'm glad to say. Excellent. I, I always like to finish with the question if I gave you a magic wand. Now, in many ways, it's, there's an obvious answer there, but maybe beyond the obvious, mm. from, your, from all the experience you've had, what's the one thing that would make life easier for those that are walking in through your doors? I think... I think it's probably two things rather than one. I think, first of all, culturally, if we could increasingly recognise that seeking support was a healthy thing to do rather than a sign of vulnerability or a sign of weakness, that it was appropriate to reach out, it's appropriate to ask questions, it's appropriate to get some support when something difficult is happening in life. And that would be a really important acceleration of a cultural shift, which I think would make it much easier for people to cross the threshold of Maggie's. And associated with that, just an awareness about Maggie. So one of our keennesses as an organisation is to make sure that there's a Maggie Centre or something like it at every cancer centre throughout the whole of the UK. And if there was that, then I think that then becomes the bread and butter of how cancer services are supported. Um, and that when you walked into the oncology unit, everybody was told about Maggie's and everybody was able to be signposted. And then it became the healthy, normal thing to be able to do rather than only doing it when you're in crisis or only doing it when things are overwhelming. So I'm aware I've probably asked for two things out of your out of your wishes, but it, it's about making Maggie's more accessible to everybody so that everybody is able to benefit from this exceptional support. Thank you very much for your time. Pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. It was great to hear from Andrew, to hear about the amazing work that Maggie's are doing here in Edinburgh and across the Lovians. We'll put a link onto their website in the show notes and you can go to it if you want to find out more. Thank you for listening to Out and About in Melovians and I look forward to catching up with you next time. Mm-hmm.